Hi, my name is Lynn McTaggart. Welcome to my podcast, Living the New Science. In these podcasts, I'm covering some extraordinary discoveries by frontier scientists and other new thought leaders and why this changes everything we think about how our world works and also how we should live our lives. Today, I'm going to have a very special guest in my own husband, Brian Hubbard. Brian's an award-winning journalist with two degrees in philosophy and journalism. He's held a variety of editorships at the Financial Times and EMAP. He's an entrepreneur who has set up multiple businesses, the publisher and co-editor of our magazine, What Doctors Don't Tell You, now published in 15 languages, and co-founder of our exhibition company, Get Well. But what we're talking about today concerns his newer work. His groundbreaking book, The Untrue Story of You, which is all about his revolutionary timelight method, the radical new therapy he developed to help you heal trauma and pain. Timelight is now being used by a team of European therapists to heal such problems as depression and anxiety. Brian's techniques are perfect for healing past incidents that hold you back from living the life of your dreams. And it dovetails perfectly with my own work on intention when it comes to healing the past. Welcome, Brian. Oh, Lynn, thank you. What a wonderful introduction. I barely recognize myself, but lovely to be on your podcast. Wonderful. Now, you developed this amazing new therapy and it came to you like a thunderbolt. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, it, it sort of, it did but it had been preceded by some years of misery, I suppose. Um, and I suppose best go back to the beginning where, um, I don't know, for the best part of five or six years, I was emotionally abused by my father. And, um, you know, he left me in a pretty bad way. And as an adult, I wasn't really able to function properly in the world. I uh, didn't have any confidence and so forth. And then that became eventually depression. And um, this went on for about 10 years, the depression. And I just really got to a point where I said, you know, I've had enough of this. And then I suppose that was the thunderbolt because I decided I really had had enough of being depressed. And there was nothing that had really worked for me. I'd tried various therapies. They didn't seem to work. But nor did the you know, explanation of what depression is didn't seem to work for me either. It didn't really make much sense. So I was, really was in a bit of a, a dead end and, and didn't know where to turn. And so from that, this thunderbolt did indeed occur, which was this extraordinary expression crashed into my brain one day, which was that to which you do not fully attend shall weigh you down. And I, it made no sense to me. I didn't know what it meant. But it was at least grammatical, and I think that's <laughs> I think that's always a good sign. And then from there, um, you know, things started to tumble out, and this went on for about ten or fifteen minutes. And essentially, what I started to discover, but which I then worked on for five years, and you know, worked on in workshops with you as well on this, Lynn, testing these ideas. But essentially, the core message was that time itself is energetic that trauma or deep upset whatever you want to call it 
and I invent, eventually called it a time-heavy experience, but a trauma is the start of psychological time. There is no other time but psychological time, and this time is energy. And so the trauma that happened, even when you're three or four, is a vibrant living mass in you today. Now, there's a lot of science to support that theory. For example, uh, there were studies done which demonstrated that people who'd had four or more adverse childhood experiences, a dreadful term, which could be anything from, there were 17 of them, but they're anything from um, coming home to find your parents weren't there, right the way through to being sexually abused by a parent. So if you had four or more of these, you're also four times more likely to suffer a chronic health problem, um, and uh, including cancer and heart disease. And uh, neuroscientists have also seen that the traumatized patient has different brain structures. Now, it suggests to me that all these things relate to the fact that the past, the trauma, must be energetic. Absolutely. And that really makes a lot of sense when you look at quantum physics. I mean, no good quantum physicist believes there is any such thing as sequential time. You know, we believe that time is an arrow mm. um, that uh, starts from cradle and ends at the grave. Mm. That's what we're taught about, uh, about the world. But number one, there is no place in the brain that understands time. They've never been able to find it. Yeah. And number two, every good quantum physicist believes that time is much more like one big smeared out now. And so because of that, that would number one, explain why trauma occurs, as you say, if time is an energy, and also uh, examine and provide a possibility for healing it that is not the usual psych psychiatric approach. And just to talk about that a little bit, you've been investigating that too, and you've seen that psychiatry is a pretty, <laughs> it's well, a pretty disastrous state right now. Psychiatry is in a bad place. And, um, you know, they've really got to the point now of admitting they have no idea what mental disorders are, how they happen, and from that, how to treat them. I mean, as I don't know if you know, they've gone right back to electroconvulsive therapy um, now as the way to go. Um, and that was discredited in the early 1950s um, because it destroys the brain cells and, and uh, memory and goodness knows what else. But anyway, that's all they seem to have left now. I mean, what is interesting, what has come out of this in terms of modern psychiatry in its early days is that mental disorders, whether it's anxiety, depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, psychosis, et cetera, et cetera, are actually all a spectrum disorder. So in fact, they are, at one end you might have slight anxiety, at the other you could have complete psychosis. But psychiatrists start to say, essentially they're one and the same thing, but they don't know what that thing is but it's an order of magnitude, not of difference. And that's 
very interesting because the order of difference came about because of the pharmaceutical industry that wanted discrete disorders that it could treat and claim on insurance, especially in America. But th those didn't work either. So there you are. And I think what is interesting, the, the connective tissue of those disorders is, if I may humbly suggest, the energy of time itself. And that actually does explain all of this. But yeah, I, I, I doubt very much they're going to agree with me, but I'm finding this does work. It worked for me. It's worked already for thousands of people. It's a, yeah, it's a radical new way of looking at what a human being is and how he resolves his issues. Because you know, if the ultimate aim of a human being is to be happy and creative, which I think is a, a fair assumption that we should be happy and creative, then you know, everyone agrees that you have to be present. You have to be in the now, for want of a better term. And that means the ending of past. And but you can only end the past when you understand the process of, of the past and the movement of psychological time. Absolutely. And give us a little bit more of a breakdown of the various time selves, because yeah. you talk about not being one self, yeah. but three selves. Yeah. Well, there, yeah, there are, there are multiple selves and each self is created by the trauma. So, you know, that will then create the situation that creates a logical connection then so that the trauma is validated by a self. So that the self comes after the issue, after the problem. The problem with psychiatry is that the self is seen first, who then has to fix the problem. It's the wrong way around. But yeah, but the model is based around three time selves. The first is present time. And by present time, essentially, by most you know, definitions, it's what we would call consciousness. It's everything in the universe, and we are within present time. It's not as if so we, we are within that present time is everything that you can see, taste, hear, touch, etc. cetera. Um, then there are the past selves, and there are three of those, not just one. The one we've just been speaking about, which is generated by trauma, is the psychological past. But there are two others. There is the knowledge past, and there is the narrative. Now, they're all important. And it's interesting that after I wrote that book, Lynn, you mentioned... Um, there was some work done uh, amongst uh, Alzheimer patients, and it's quite evident in Alzheimer patients and dementia patients, you actually do see the three memory forms. And they said, well, there are three memory types, knowledge, narrative, and psychological, which was happened, I had said, about three years prior to that. But the three are essential because you know, everything that we do is memory. Now, for example, if I tie my shoelace, I had to learn that at one point, and then I remembered it. And that's true of so many things that we do. That is a memory. Similarly, for me to know that I am a Christian born in a certain place and at a certain age is my narrative story. But that also is a memory, right? Now, when you fuse two of those memories together, you get conflict and war. And those two memory types is the psychological, of course, which is trauma linked to narrative. So not only have I suffered trauma, but I have suffered trauma because I am 
an Arab in the Middle East or whatever it might be. And when you conjoin those two memories, those two pasts, you have the genesis of uh, conflict and war. And essentially, that's what it is. Because, you know, when you actually look at someone in front of you, it's just a human being and you're looking at each other and there is no story there, there, there is only perception. That's the purity of being, which conflict doesn't allow. So there's that. And the final part of the timeline model is the potential self, which is the part of us which is out of time. Now, as we sort of touched on that a bit earlier, Lynn, that's the nat natural state, because if time doesn't exist, then clearly the potential self must be the natural state. But that can only come through and be evident in the world when the past has been quietened down. Now, none of this means that we suffer amnesia, but what it does mean is that the past has no power over you. So the past has its place as a memory, but has no power, which allows the timeless, which I call the potential, to come through. And I mean, what we're really talking about is the part of the past that is an unwanted guest, the un, uh, the unreconstructed and misunderstood events from your past. So it doesn't have to always be trauma. It can also no. be that teacher who told you you were stupid at math yeah. and you had to hang your head in shame when you were seven or eight. And it has lingered in you and convinced you that the you that exists doesn't understand math. Hmm. And oftentimes you see people like this, even as adults, avoiding something because they were told at some point by somebody when they were too young that they couldn't do something. I mean, the wonderful example is Sam Keane, the philosopher, who was told by his mother, I believe, when he tried to do something mechanical as a kid, that he wasn't any good in it. So Sam eschewed anything mechanical, any kind of engineering, and became a philosopher. And then when he grew up and took some sort of aptitude test, they found out it was off the charts. His Engineering mechanical ability was in the genius category. So I always think how much, how many um, inventions have we been deprived of because Sam Keen's mom told him he wasn't any good at it. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, this is the, the situation is we all have something. You know, it doesn't have to be the most extreme example of trauma, although we see plenty of those in our retreats, but it can also be something misunderstood, something that has characterized you, something that has limited you. But talk about patterns too, Brian, because mm. you see that over and over and again yeah. in your work. That's fascinating because it's, um, yeah, just to just, finish that point you're right it's not just trauma and and as i say i don't use the term trauma because uh you know it, it that has a different meaning for different people and i call them time heavy experiences because it's the creation of time at that point whether it's something your best friend said your teacher said your parents said whatever it might be um but yeah but that then creates a you that owns that 
that issue. But yeah, so um, uh, what did you say when you asked? I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what about patterns? Patterns, yeah, really interesting area. And I think in a way it further points to the idea of energy as, as being time. You know, I, there were two patterns in my own life which were, you know, extraordinary. Uh, one was a, a, a terrible thing within my parents' marriage, uh, which I was not aware of at all, which I replicated in my marriage. And I suppose, you know, I shouldn't say what it is, but it was identical. Your first marriage. My first I'm marriage. The second, yeah, yeah, sorry. I'm the second yeah, 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 yeah. marriage. You are, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first. And the other one, which I think, you know, we can talk about more, was that we adopted our second child, Anya, and only after we adopted and brought her home did my mother reveal that she too had been adopted. Um, and that was, again, another family secret that only came out after the fact. And I think it's very, very interesting. And probably one of the most interesting aspects of the work is the, I don't know, it's not even just in our lifetimes. I think it's generational that these patterns appear and recur and recur and whether it's you know issues over addiction alcohol gambling i don't know whatever it might be seems to keep on recurring through the generations as if well and i think it is because it's trying to resolve itself and i think that is always the saving grace that this energy if you like is seeking to be intelligent and rather than repeat it it's looking to be understood and therefore come to an end but yeah, I mean, you know, there's loads of studies, Lynn, about this, about, you know, generational stuff about, um, and I'm sure you can cite some of them, about, you know, people who were concentration camp victims and, you know, two generations on, how that energy has affected these people especially, and in a way that others whose parents didn't or grandparents didn't go to concentration camp, you know, didn't suffer. So it seems to me that there is this extraordinary energetic connection that just carries on independent almost of, of the person. Absolutely. And it sabotages your present. I mean, we see this, I certainly see this with intention work. I talk to people who continually pick the wrong partner and that partner has some echo of some relationship they had with a, an authority figure with a father or a mother and it is sabotaging them and preventing them from living the best life they could because they're stuck in that time loop. Mm. And this is the thing that's so interesting about looking at um, quantum physics and what the evidence shows about time. Because we say, but how can you fix the past? It's already done. The point is, there is an enormous body of evidence to show that things like intention work out of time. For instance, <clears throat> there are studies showing, I mean, vast studies of the random event generator work um, at Princeton University, where <clears throat> they would run those electronic versions of a toss of a coin. So they would do their output. And remember, they have an output of one or zero. 
about 50% of the time, most of the time, they would oftentimes show that in terms of pictures on a computer screen of say apples and oranges. And so you would get pretty much 50% apples, 50% oranges. So they would play this thing. And usually what they would do is not play it ahead of time, but have somebody sitting in front of the equipment intending for more apples, say, than oranges. And they found in a significant number of cases, you would get more apples than oranges. Now, they also ran tens of thousands of studies where they ran the REG machines first, then had somebody intend after they'd been run. And guess what? Their results were even better in terms of altering the output of those machines. They did it with remote viewing studies. They are the most extraordinary ones done at Princeton University where they would have a remote viewer in the laboratory and then a traveling partner. The traveling partner would be randomly handed an envelope, which was a destination anywhere from around the block to thousands of miles away. And they would have the remote viewer, when the traveling partner got to his destination, draw and describe where his partner was, even though he had not seen the envelope. And they had an extraordinary success rate. But in two thirds of the cases, they had the remote viewer drawn, describe where his partner was going before he even chose the envelope. And it is amazing. Two thirds of these were done like this called precognitive remote viewing. And there was a huge success rate. Uh, Remote viewers and not even talented people, just ordinary folks drawing and describing train stations in Illinois, or a gallery in Moscow, or an old castle. I mean, with amazing detail. That tells us that there is information that we can access completely out of time. And that time is really essentially an invention by us. So you've talked about how we have these patterns. So what are some of the things that you try to do to overcome it with people? Right. Well, you know, I said at the beginning that I tried a few therapies to overcome my depression and at best they modified behavior, but they didn't really resolve the problem. And that's because it was based, all these therapies are based on several misperceptions. One is that there is an independent I who has a problem. And secondly, it's a problem that can be resolved by this I. And this is, as I said, you know, back to front is the first thing to say. The second thing is that it's not recognizing what's going on and that the problem itself is time and it's the energy of time. So that said, the therapy is really based around changing our relationship to time, mm-hmm. not to the problem, because the problem and time are identical, as is the self who's trying to resolve the problem. So the first thing to do, and this is a, a radical idea, 
um, which needs to be absorbed by people, I guess. But then there are, and to, to get us there, you know, I developed in the book 21 different exercises to help achieve that. Um, and um, I've developed more since then. Um, but essentially, it is done out of time to resolve time. You cannot resolve time with time. You must do it outside of time, which is yeah, essentially your work with intention is, you know, what the miracles happen because it's happening outside of time. You know, if you, you know, if, if we, you know, look, look at the world. I mean, before the Iraqi invasion, well, I can't remember how long ago it was now, but before that, over a million people marched to stop the war from happening. 48 hours later, Britain and America invaded. Because that's the world of will. Now, my will is just little me. And if whatever we try to do, you're up against the will of the armaments industry, of governments and politicians, of interested groups that want war and so forth. You know, in the world of time and space, my will is nothing. But outside of time and space, significant things can happen. Absolutely. And I think that's certainly what we see in Power of Eight groups. Mm. You know, <clears throat> ever since I started putting people into small groups in 2008, and Brian and I have been working and developing our work together on healing time since that time. And he certainly, once, once he started developing his ideas, even more so. But what we found is that when we put people into small groups, they, you know, we've tried to figure out why they heal people so easily. Why a 10-minute intention in a group can help people get out, out of a wheelchair or be able to cancel their surgery for a knee replacement, 10 minutes. So I looked at that from every angle, from you know intention, and that's certainly a big part of it, altruism, that's certainly a huge part of it, and many other things, but I think the real key piece here is oneness. Oneness takes us out of time. And we don't get to experience that ordinarily in our lives. Um, we do. We create a world of time and separation, and we don't get to experience what the field is. You know, we talk about, and lots of people say to me, "Well, how do I enter the field?" Well, the answer is, you're in the field. We're all in the field, but you don't experience life that way. But when you get into a power of a group, you experience a sense of oneness and that takes you, lifts you out of time. So we've also done a lot of work, Brian and I, on looking at going back to that experience. I mean, one of the things that I do is retro intention, which I've been experimenting with and now really refined um, since all that time ago, 2008. And what I found, and the key piece here, Brian, is we don't change what happened. What we do change is the energy around what happened. 
And that's the key element is you don't change what happened, you change your response to it. And what we find in so much of time heavy experiences is it's, uh, there's a feeling of powerlessness. So our techniques are about recovering your power and that seems to be a healer. So I have a wonderful example of, I mean, we saw it together. We were in California I was doing a workshop and we were doing something on retro intention and a woman in the audience had had quite a traumatic time in her teenage years. She ended up getting a very bad infection and that caused vitiligo, you know, losing pigmentation. So I had her go back to that time and change some element in her response to it and change the at the seed moment of the illness and the whole situation around it. And she stood up afterward, after the whole, the whole workshop, you know, that, that exercise was done. And she said, my skin is repigmenting. So we were totally blown away by that. And we've seen so many cases of it as well. Now you have those 21 exercises of yours, Brian, many of them are about moving out of time. Do you want to discuss some of those? Well, I mean, there are, yeah, as you say, there are 21. And, um, you know, we start with very basic stuff about learning to see without naming. And that's the first thing we have to do. It's a skill in itself is to do that. And um, all the way through, really, you know, two of the essentials are, are forgiveness. That's very, very important. But most people don't know how to forgive because, you know, we, we, we are given the standard issue. And really the point about forgiveness is forgiving yourself for carrying the weight. And that's very important as well. And there's exercises, as you say, retroactive work. There's changing your the dynamic and power and energy of a relationship with a parent or whatever it might be. And seeing people as being very human. And, you know, one of the release thoughts for me was that, you know, my parent, my father was pretty poor, you know, he wasn't a great dad, but equally I came to understand that he did the very best he could, mm -hmm. you know, that was the best he could bring to the table bearing in mind his past. And that's also a releasing thought. So there's all sorts of exercises like that that we do to get people to, as I say, fundamentally change the relationship to time. Give us a little bit more information about what happened in your trajectory with your father. I mean, he turned out, he was a pretty poor yeah, dad he was a pretty in the poor beginning, <laughs> yeah. but you ended up connecting by the end. Do yeah. you want to talk about oh. the beginning and the end? Well, I mean, the beginning was pretty awful. I mean, he clearly didn't want to have another child. He married a second time. That was obviously to my mother. And um, clearly didn't want any more children. And then I popped up. And, um, yeah, he pretty much resented that from the get-go. And um, I think I was two or three when he said something very complicated to me, which I just didn't have the language to understand. And he screamed at me for being, you know, very stupid and an idiot and so forth. And that was the last time he spoke to me for six years, um, other than whistling. So whistling was his main 
means of communication, which, um, which I, as I joke, when people whistle, I still salivate and ask for a biscuit. But, <laughs> but, um, but that was that. But I mean, you know, then you grow up a bit more and you become, you know, a teenager who has all sorts of issues with him and, you know, his yes becomes my no and so forth. But, you know, I, I came out of it pretty damaged and um, it took me a long time. And only when I had resolved this, that the relationship itself changed. And I think that is also interesting to, to note that you've seen the same, Lynn, that when people change the dynamic of a relationship, the other person actually changes. And that's an extraordinary thing. But if we are within time or we're, we're actually timeless, uh, then once you've changed time, then everything else does change. And um, so, it, yeah, exactly what happened is hard to say. It's beyond my ken, really, to, to understand that process. But it happened. And that once I changed my relationship to it, my father also changed. Well, I mean, I was an observer to all of this yeah. and saw initially a very sarcastic mm. and unfulfilled person in your father yeah. and just uh, who boarded on the real nasty a mm. lot of the time. Yeah. And that morphed into, mm. as you developed this, understood it and forgave him, I watched him morph into the closest thing I could think of, of a kindly old gent who really looked forward to our mm, visits, yeah. who called for you on his deathbed, the child, supposedly, he really didn't want mm. of the three. And yeah. uh, I thought, thought that arc was really quite extraordinary, mm. and really came about because of your greater understanding. As yeah. you say, you change the dynamic changes. Well, I think when you change, the world changes. Mm -hmm. But for that to happen, you have to understand that you have to step out of the world of time, space, cause and effect. Yes. Because that's, that achieves limited change. You know, that, you know, that's where you get a slight, slight reduction, reduction in tax or where, you know, the invading forces will move back five miles. You know, you get modifications because that's within the world of cause and effect, time and space. So to create a revolution, which I think is the only thing worth thinking about, you have to step outside of all of that. You have to step out of time and space, cause and effect, and just fundamentally change and then it all changes. Um, yeah, and, and uh, it's, 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 it sounds pretty, for some people, pretty weird, but it really isn't, because when you understand the nature of time itself, that, in fact, it's a process. Time, time, I describe time as a process that measures other processes. So it measures change, essentially. It, me it, measures, it measures our aging. It measures you know, a tree losing its leaves and regaining its leaves. But it's contingent upon those other processes. If nothing changed, time would not exist. So it, it is contingent upon change to exist. So therefore, it is not an absolute. Sorry, Newton, you're wrong. It's not an absolute. And so it's, it, it is a contingent thing, which, as I say, only... Re relies for its existence upon other things to happen. 
when you realize that, then you see it is not an absolute. And therefore, there are aspects of you outside of that. And that's where the great work can be done. Absolutely. And I mean, I've certainly seen it with some retro intention. Mm. Um, For instance, a woman called Annette, whose mother had her at 19 and never, you know, was was traumatized by it, never really wanted a child at that age. And her partner actually wanted a boy. So was really disappointed when Annette came along. And Annette grew up feeling unloved um, and not connecting with her mother and her mother not connecting with her. So we did some retro intention exercises to change her perception of the whole relationships that she was loved. And it turns out she was, her mother just couldn't express that at the time. She was too overwhelmed and depressed, just couldn't handle it at the time. By this time, her mother was, you know, quite old, but still had, you know, all of her marbles And so the next time after this retro intention, Annette went to see her mother instead of essentially not communicating. They had this deep and heartfelt communication. And the mother said, it's like a miracle. We finally connected. So Annette's retro intention changed the whole dynamic between them, and they are much, much closer now. And you see that you step out of time, you heal. There's two things going on. You're stepping out of time and healing yourself, but also that whole relationship is also an energy, as is everything in the world. We are all energy. We're all subatomic particles vibrating back and forth and trading energy. And relationships are that too. So when you can go back and essentially heal the past by changing your perception, moving out of time, taking back your power, you change that dynamic as Brian did, as you did. So tell us a bit about your book. So you've got a book called The Untrue Story of You, which yeah. is essential reading for anybody <laughs> interested in this subject, yeah. I have to say. Yeah. Well, it's a second edition. The first edition was called Time Light, which I self-published. And, of course, being a philosopher of sorts, I kept myself out of it and then said, that's a terrible thing to have done. And uh, you need to rewrite this book with your story in the middle of it. So I did. But I called it The Untrue Story of You. And it's untrue because nothing that happens to you is absolutely true because it's based upon your perspective. And um, so therefore it's your untrue story. And um, yeah, so the book is published by Hay House and is available in all good Amazons. And um, it relates my story about how I got to where I did the the three clues that I followed to get to my my theory, if you will, and then explores the different elements of time and then caps it all off with these 21 exercises. Um, so, yeah, it's a, I'd, I'd say it's a must-read, Lynn. I think it's a must-read. And where yeah. can people find out more about you, Brian? Uh, well, they're on my website. Um, Which is? 
timelight.co.uk and then and between timelight there's a hyphen time-light.co.uk wonderful mm. thank you so much brian oh. and everybody check that out check out his book and also speaking of healing the past i should let you know that brian and i are holding a special retreat at broughton hall in yorkshire <clears throat> this is a three thousand acre country estate that we were really struck by when we went there last year for a conference. It was the runner-up for the set location for Downton Abbey, but it's also got this amazing, unique spiritual dimension with a gorgeous meeting room, yoga facilities, spa and pool, a labyrinth, fire pit, an amazing forest, and so much more with lodging in historic and mostly deluxe country cottages. So in our workshop, which is September 5th, through 9th, 2022, we're going to be offering 16 hours of intensive, interactive and experiential teaching time with both of us. And you'll be learning how the past is that energy living within you and what is sabotaging your present, the patterns we talked about, special retro intention tools and other tools to heal these past wounds, both with you and generationally, and group intention skills that take you out of time and map an exciting, purposeful, and new direction for you. But I mean, this event has been amazingly popular. Um, we are nearly full. We have literally four places left. So if you are interested in this, please act now, find out more. We'll be putting up the link and go to lynnmctaggart.com under events and you'll find out more about it in events. It's Broughton Hall. So thank you, Brian. Thank you, audience. This is Lynn McTaggart helping you to live the new science. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting again.
This is Lynn McTaggart, helping you to live the new science. Thank you for listening. I look forward to connecting again. Take care now.